0: Involves truth candy is absolutely a necessary part of that. (laughs) So um, just to give you a little overview, we're gonna spend a couple weeks, we're gonna start this week and next week talking about issues of gender, homosexuality, biblical sexuality, what does the Bible define as sin, what is that kind of whole area. And um, tonight, we're gonna deal mostly with the issue of the transgender issue. And then next week, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about the broader issue of LGBT, um, just in general, in the world and in the church and all of that. So uh, if it's all right with you guys, I would love to start with prayer because this is a hard thing to talk about because the culture is absolutely united on what their opinion of it is. And so sometimes it's difficult to speak truth into something that so many people have decided is one way when you're trying to speak biblical truth into it. But the good news is, is that the church has been here before, not with this issue, but with other issues. And, and, you know, the Christians had to stand on biblical truth, and we're still here. So let's pray. Father, um, we come to you in the name of Jesus and ask, first of all, that you would speak through me that there wouldn't be anything I say that wouldn't line up with your word, not just the words that are in the Bible, but the loving spirit in which they're communicated. And I pray that we would all have hearts of compassion for anybody dealing with these issues, that that would be first and foremost, Lord. And I pray that you'd give me the words to say, let anything I say that's not of you just fall to the ground and let anything that is of you Ring true in our hearts, Lord. And even though we know sometimes we read things in the Bible that don't necessarily ring like they, like we're like, yeah, but we submit ourselves to the authority of your word because we know that we can't always, our hearts can't always be trusted to know right from wrong. That's why we're so thankful that we have the Bible to lead us and guide us into all truth and the, led by the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Often Christians kind of come out with their machine guns blazing on this issue without first considering that there are actual lives, hearts, flesh, bones, people that are really struggling with this stuff. And I think back to when Katie said, I'm tired of fighting. And I wonder if, you know, she lived far away from me. We weren't really in the same community to be able to be close like that. But I do wonder if even I would have said to her at some point, Katie, you know, it's not just about changing your feelings. It's about surrendering to God and, being, and and just coming to Him with all your stuff and let Him walk this with you. Because I think a lot of times people think, if I can't change the way I feel, then I can't come to God yet. And I think that's why she was tired of fighting. And so if the church would get better at offering community and help for people who struggle with these issues, Uh, We might begin to see a lot of people really come alive and maybe still continue to struggle with those things, but within a loving community where they don't feel ostracized and they don't feel rejected. Um, So I wanted to start with that story because when I talk about this issue, I'm thinking about my friend Katie. I'm, I'm thinking about this first and foremost through the truth of what the Word of God has to say about it but we also know that all the truth of the Bible is for our good. So I'm thinking about Katie. We talked about the gospel last week. Who was here for the gospel last week? So we know that there's this grand story where we, ha- we are all sinners, right? Jesus came, he died for our sins. He ushered in a whole new kingdom. And if we put our trust in him, then we can have eternal life. And so what we have to ask ourselves is, what is the good news for Katie? She might not feel like that's good news for her, but I want to argue that it is good news for her because anyone who's struggling with any sin, guys, any sin, we're invited to come to Jesus and lay that before him and let him transform us into his image and be conformed into his image. So... Let's talk about gender, okay? So now we're going to get a little more technical with the talk, but I wanted to set it up with the heart behind the talk, okay? So what is gender? Why don't you guys just tell me, so what do you think is gender? Okay, the biological definition of whether you're a boy or girl. Anybody else? Well, for all of world history, in all cultures, in all societies, they've pretty much always differentiated between the sexes male and female. Now, the roles that those genders played in all of the historical societies weren't always the same as they are now. There were times when women had to go out hunting or, and they weren't doing, you know, kind of more traditionally female roles like you might think of now. So the roles that they played kind of flexed a bit throughout history. But all throughout history, all cultures, have always differentiated between male and female. Uh, even out into the tribes of the jungles where they've never had any Western influence or anything like that, they still see a difference between male and female. And this difference has always been based on biology, right? It's always been based on your body, okay? So only very recently, like in the last few years recently, has our society decided to become the first one to see what would happen if we start defining that a little bit differently? So this is the first time in world history, you guys, that people are questioning whether or not gender is a fixed trait, meaning something that doesn't change, that's based on your body, your anatomy, your biology, or if it's uh, something that's flexible something that's based on society, something you choose or something you just feel, and then that's true. So traditionally, throughout world history, it's been seen as something you're born with. You know, hey, it's a girl, it's a boy, there's ways to tell these things if you don't know. Uh, something you're born with. Uh, but now, all of a sudden, people are saying, no, it's actually something you're, you, you decide for yourself or something that society Uh, In fact, they'll say now, even the idea that it's fixed, that's something culture has just put on people for the bulk of world history. And I think if we're all honest, if we remove all cultural influences, just imagine you've never heard anything about this issue before. I think we would all agree that it's intuitive. We all know this. We all know there's a difference between men and women. Uh, it's, it's obvious in our bodies. It's obvious, generally speaking, in behavior. Uh, you know, even now, with all that's going on in culture, babies are born and they look at the baby and they say, it's a boy, or they say, it's a girl. But our culture is slowly rejecting that notion. So we are the first culture to do this. So do you know what that's called? That's called an experiment. They have no idea how this is going to affect your generation, and more specifically, the generation that's coming up underneath you guys, the babies that are just being born now. There are are kids in kindergartens being told, hey, guess what, it's your choice if you're a boy or a girl. You, You have to choose that. And so this has never been tested before. We've just decided to experiment on our kids. And as young people, I would urge you to consider the fact that the people that are just a little bit older than you are using you as a guinea pig in an experiment. And I would urge you to be skeptical of anything that hasn't been tested and observed over a long period of time. We don't know what kind of effect this is going to have. We know the effects of having strong ideas of gender and family. We know that a strong nuclear family promotes a healthy society. We don't know the end results of this brand new ideology. And as Christians, I would urge you to figure out if God has anything to say about gender. So tonight we're gonna look at a little bit of science and we're gonna look at scripture. We're gonna investigate truth because it really all comes down to truth. So I want you guys to think about something. If you have to close your eyes, close your eyes, but I want you to think about the last person you felt compassion for. So think about the person that you saw and you felt sorry for them or you, you recognized there was a need there, you felt empathy. Maybe it was a homeless person you saw on the sidewalk. Maybe it was a TV show that showed uh, an underprivileged family or maybe it was a friend who uh, has been through some abuse and, and you felt compassion for that. Do you all have something in your mind, someone that you felt compassion for? Yeah, so he would, if you couldn't hear him over there, he was feeling empathy and compassion for his friend who was abused by his father and then his parents got divorced and some other things happened. But now I want you to imagine the compassion you feel for your friend who's been abused. That compassion is only real if it's based on truth. You have to know about the abuse and you have to know the truth about the abuse to genuinely feel the compassion. If you don't know that, the compassion's not gonna come. Or if you don't have true compassion, but you know the truth, then you're gonna be like, ah, you know, just deal with it. Or, hey, abuse is great, let's celebrate that, right? I'm just saying you have to know the truth in order to have the proper response to the event. Take take the example of a homeless person. If you don't know they're homeless, you're not gonna have compassion, but when you know the truth about their situation, It it will cause you to have compassion. If a friend is sick, you don't just ignore the sickness and say, oh, you're fine. Now, which would be more compassionate? If you had a friend that was really sick, would it be more compassionate to say, oh, you're sick, I'm so sorry, let me help you walk towards wholeness and healing in this? Or would it be more compassionate to say, you're not sick, that's beautiful about you, let's celebrate that. Do you guys kind of see what I'm getting at a little bit? You have to be rooted in truth in order to have true compassion. Because if you're not rooted in truth, compassion can actually become hate unintentionally very quickly. So as Christians, we're going to start with the Bible. The Bible is God's word, and therefore, it reveals his thoughts about these things. Now, if you look all through your Bible, you're not going to find the word transgender in your Bible, okay? (laughs) You are not going to find a verse that says, uh, regarding transgender, thus saith the Lord. But the Bible does have a lot to say about gender. So for this, we'll have to go back to the beginning. So if you look closely, if you've got your Bibles and you want to open up to Genesis one If you look closely at the story of creation, you're gonna start to see a pattern emerge. Uh, Specifically like in Genesis uh, one, god and this is the first fill in the blank on your sheet. The pattern you're gonna see emerge is that God followed a pattern of creating and separating. God followed a pattern of creating and separating. So he creates the universe and immediately he separates the heavens from the earth. He creates the light and then separates it from the night and creates day and night. He creates the waters and then separates the waters from the ground. He creates living creatures and then he separates humans from animals. And so when God created humans, He created two kinds. He separated humans into two kinds. He created two sexes, male and female. And the Bible says that male and female were both created in his image, right? It doesn't say that about the animals. It doesn't say that about the plants. It only says that about humans. And so has anybody got uh, Genesis 2 open? Can somebody read Genesis 2.18 for me? who's got that? Genesis 2, 18. You want to read that for us nice and loud? So God creates all this stuff. He separates everything, creates, uh, it, it says in the overview that he creates two male and female. So when God says it's not good for man to be alone, he doesn't immediately create Eve it's sort of weird. If you don't really see what God's doing, it seems like it's a weird order. Like he makes this declaration that man shouldn't be alone. And then he says, now name all the animals. It's like, that's kind of weird. But imagine you're Adam and God said, it's not good for you to be alone. Now I want you to name all these animals. So all these animals are coming to Adam. And he's like, that's a turtle and that's a dog and that's a horse or whatever You know, he was naming uh he probably wasn't speaking english but you know that's something you can think about later but anyway he's naming all the animals and then he starts to notice that these animals aren't like him and then he i mean i'm speculating that when he's doing this he starts to realize i really am alone i don't have a a, a counterpart it's just me like all these animals seem to be have different uh, like they complement each other in some way. There's nothing that to complement me, and so the Bible says that God caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam, and He took part of Adam's side. Some translations say the rib, and He made the woman out of the man. So he, they're made from the same stuff, but they're different. So God, from creation, created men and women to be different. And so number two in your Worksheet is God created the categories of male and female. God created the categories of male and female. So the distinction of the sexes goes back to the very first humans. This is not a social construct, it's a God construct. God created the categories of male and female. And biblically speaking, These categories were based on anatomy. Biblically, these categories were based on anatomy. They're based on your body, your biology. That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife. See, some of you all thought government invented marriage, but actually God invented marriage. He invented gender and he invented marriage. So let's think about anatomy for a second. Not too hard, because I know our ages here don't think too much about this, but I realize there's a lot of people here, so I'm not gonna get too deep into it. I'll be as general as I can. But this is a little science 101 here. So a new person, uh, a baby, can only come to be when a biological male and a biological female come together. That's about all I'm gonna say about that. If you don't know, you can ask your mom later. But think about all the systems in your body, okay? You, each one of you as individuals, male and female, you all have one skeletal system. You have one nervous system, complete, whole nervous system. You have a complete and whole cardiovascular system within your body. But you have one half of a reproductive system. Have you ever thought about that? it doesn't work until it becomes completed by the other half of the system. So you have a whole, your cardiovascular system works all by itself, it's complete. But your reproductive system, you only have half of one. And so again, only when man and woman come together is there a whole and complete reproductive system. So number four, And I would say God did that on purpose. So number four, though male and female are separate, though male and female are separate, they come together to make something more whole than by themselves. Though male and female are separate, when they come together to make something more whole than by themselves. And this is exactly why God created the institution of marriage. It actually wasn't for the purpose, I'm sorry to tell you, it wasn't for the purpose of finding your soulmate or living happily ever after, although it's great when those things happen. But despite what Disney has told you since you were born, that's actually not the purpose of marriage. When you get married, the movie's not over, right? (laughs) So God's purpose for marriage was to bring man and woman together to reflect the fullness of his image in them think about that. Male and female were both created in God's image. When they come together as a complete unit, as one flesh, they are reflecting the fullness of his image in humans. And it also creates a stable environment for children to grow and be nurtured, right? Did you ever think you'd be living in a time, moms and dads probably, where it would be considered bigoted to say that kids need a mom and a dad? I mean, our world is broken. We know it doesn't always happen. My sister's a single mom. Uh, it doesn't always, but, but that's an example of when it's broken, and she does a great job. She's awesome, and her kids are awesome. But the ideal, the norm that God instituted, that He created the family to be, was for kids to have a mom and a dad. So it's clear from Scripture that gender is something God create, created based on our biology, but What happens now when someone, what they feel about their gender, doesn't line up with their physical body? So number five, your biological sex is a physical trait that's determined at conception. Your biological sex is a physical trait that's determined at conception. Physical trait that's determined at conception. Let's talk about when the way someone feels about themselves doesn't line up with that physical trait. That's where we're going to call our gender identity. So our gender identity is part of our personality. This is the part of our personality that contains our beliefs about whether we're male or female. And this is something that starts at birth and it develops over time. Okay, so your next one is your gender identity is a non-physical trait that develops from birth through young adulthood. Your gender identity is a non-physical trait that develops from birth through young adulthood. Now, in most cases, someone's gender identity follows their biological sex. But in some cases, someone's gender identity is different from their biological sex. And this is what it means to be transgender. So often, transgender people feel like they're trapped in the wrong body, like a female feeling like she's trapped in a male body, like my friend Caden, or a male feeling like he's trapped in a female body. So that's when the, the feelings and the perceptions you have about yourself don't line up with the physical reality. So you can imagine the depression, the anxiety, the general emotional distress this can cause when these two things are at odds with each other. This is where our compassion comes in. Uh, It's documented that suicide rates among transgender people are 41%. Now, if you want to compare that to the general population, it's just under 2% suicide rates that's an astronomically high suicide rate for a group of people. So because of the pain they feel inside, many will try to alter their body to match their perceived gender identity with hormones, drugs, surgery, and the like. So the question we're kind of forced to look at as a society is if these two things don't line up, if the physical reality doesn't line up with the mental reality, What do you do? Do you alter your body to match your mental state, or do you try to alter your mental state to match your body? So, the concern with changing the body to match the mind is that it's possible to mistake your gender identity. Studies show that most kids that struggle with gender identity grow out of it by the time they're 25. But it's not... Possible to mistake your biological sex. Now, there's one exception to this, and that's the issue of intersex, which used to be called hermaphrodite. You guys probably, I don't know, do you all hear that word, or is that something that just old people know? Okay. So it's called intersex now. And what that is, is when someone's actually born with either malformed or ambiguous, meaning you can't quite tell, um, physical traits. Okay. So for example, a male child might be born with certain defects that make it difficult at birth for doctors to tell their sex. And so often parents in these cases will just alter the body of the baby, whatever's kind of the easiest thing to do. So in a lot of cases where it's the case of a boy that's malformed or whatever, they'll just do surgery to make him look like a girl. The problem is that if it's a boy, he still has a Y chromosome that will drive his development to make him become a male child, and so there was a study that actually followed boys like this, and they followed them all throughout their lives. They were born with um, malformed male genitalia, and they altered that to just make it, look like girls, but again, that Y chromosome, as they grew up, they experienced all the things that would line up with biological males, the rough and tumble play, the attraction to females, and so most of them, when they grew up, they wanted to be men, even though they looked, because they'd been treated with hormones and all this, they looked like women, but they wanted to be men. Well, why? Because number six, gender is not merely a social construct, but innately tied to one's biological sex. So gender is not merely a social construct as was proven with these boys. Some of them didn't even know that they had that done, but they felt like they were trapped in the wrong body. And in their case, they actually were. And so this shows that gender is not merely a social construct, but innately tied to your biological sex. Now, transgender adults who get sex change operations, they don't, they don't fare much better. Although many will say they're happy, like Kaden would say she's happy in her new gender, most still have the same emotional and psychological problems that they had before they had the surgeries and the drug uh, treatments and the hormone therapies. Uh, Dr. Paul McHugh, who's the former director of the Department of Psychiatry at Johns Hopkins Hospital, this is like one of the top hospitals in the world, he, he admits his regret at that, how that hospital was complicit in performing these sex change surgeries. He believes that um, the field of medicine has known for a century that being transgender is not a healthy state for the person. And this is a quote from him and this guy's not a Christian as far as I know. He said, we psychiatrists would do better to concentrate on trying to fix their minds and not their bodies, he writes. He said, we've wasted scientific and technical resources and damaged our professional credibility by collaborating with madness rather than trying to study, cure, and ultimately prevent it. And this Lines up with what scripture tells us as well. When God made you, He made you not just as some random thing that you could figure out what you are later. He designed you with a purpose. He designed you intentionally to fulfill a purpose. He made your body to fulfill a purpose, your gender to fulfill a purpose and how he made you is good. And I know that there, there's probably, statistically there are people in this room that are struggling with your gender identity. And I want you to know that the way God made your body is good. And I also wanna tell you that some of some of the actual social constructs, like girls play with dolls and boys play with cars, if you're a girl who played with cars or liked to play basketball with the boys rather than Barbies with the girls, that doesn't mean you're a boy, <laughs> because that's determined by your body, right? You, I, I was kind of like what they used to call a tomboy, where I would much rather be playing in the mud with the boys than doing all the girl stuff. I'm still kind of that way. I, I'm like... Ladies events, I'm like, ugh, you know, but it's just kind of how I am. But that doesn't mean I'm male, you know? God made my body with a purpose and he called it good. And the way he made you, you're made in the image of God and society is lying to you. I think the reason there are so many young people questioning their gender identity is because they've been told to question it. When I was young, me and a couple of the other girls played with boys and nobody suggested to us that we're probably boys. So it never occurred to us. But I think that you guys are facing a really difficult challenge and that it's just being pushed down your throats constantly. They're trying to make you believe that your gender identity is something that you have to choose. Like it's just, nothing's there when you're born. And then as you grow, you're just going to decide. And it's, They're trying to make you think that it's something that's entirely in your mind, but I would urge you to resist being a test subject for an experiment that's doomed to fail, both biblically and scientifically. And so this brings us to number seven. God made male and female and called them good. God made male and female and called them good. Maybe you're struggling with this. And if you're struggling with this, I wanna encourage you to talk to your mom or your dad, a trusted adult, a friend, someone who's gonna speak truth into your life, who's gonna love you, who's gonna show compassion for you, who's gonna walk with you uh, through some of these struggles. And I hope to encourage you that the Bible says that as we follow Christ, we're daily being transformed. Romans 12.2. Uh, can somebody turn to Romans 12.2 for a minute? Yes. Yeah, so do not be conformed or to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. you know who does the renewing? God does the renewing as we walk with him day by day. We're not gonna necessarily wake up tomorrow with all new ideas and ideologies it's a thing he does slowly day by day as we follow him as we trust him as we walk in community with other believers. I would encourage you that if you have a friend who's struggling with them, let this be an open conversation that you don't feel like you have to fix tomorrow, but know that you're in this for the long haul to walk with this person to speak truth into their life to love them and uh, and, and just don't bear it alone because we are only as sick as our secrets. And you know, like, how many of you have ever been in a place where all the lights are off and then you, you turn the light on and like you see all these cockroaches just scatter. Has anyone ever seen that? Have you ever been somewhere gross like that? Okay, I lived in New York, so I saw that kind of stuff all the time, like sometimes even rats, you know? But you turn the light on, and all of a sudden the cockroaches are like, (gasps) and they just start scattering all over the place. Well, it's kind of like that with any problem we might have, anything we struggle with in our minds. Because here's the deal. Every single one of us have stuff we struggle with every day, including myself, every day. We have stuff that we struggle with in our minds as we walk in this broken world and as we become more and more transformed by the renewing of our mind day after day after day. But when we turn the light on and we, and we, just, we just expose it to the light, then we can see what's going on. But you know what, if you never turn those lights on, you're never gonna see the cockroaches and the rats and all that stuff. And trust me, as someone who lived in an apartment in New York, you wanna see those things because you don't wanna step on them or wake up with one on your face. Uh, Not saying that actually happened, it did, it did happen. Uh, but But the light was off, you know what I'm saying? So turn the lights on, let it be exposed to the light. And the way you can do that is to be open. Talk with somebody you trust, a good Christian friend, your mom, your dad. That you, can, that you can walk through these things together. So we are gonna break up into groups. I, I think, how do you wanna do this? Probably, obviously, girls and girls and... And this is the question I want you guys to discuss and at least start with, is what do you think about the cultural idea that you're being told that gender identity is purely a social construct? Number eight. Did I, what's number eight? Oh, I'm sorry, guys, number eight. I'm so sorry. All right, fail over here. The answer is not to alter your body, but to renew the mind. The answer is not to alter the body, which you can't reverse, and you might change your mind, but to renew the mind,